Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome you this week to the Matrixic discussion group call for tactical sovereignty. This beautiful Sunday, the first day of the week. Not the seventh, not the seventh. I always say, it's just one more thing that people need to learn about and unwind your mind according to what you've been taught. Yeah, I found it kind of interesting um, on that topic, actually. Yeah, I've worked in the casino business for quite a while. And uh, I think, well, a lot of people may not know, but there is a, um, I will say, a sect of people. Um, I won't necessarily, they're not necessarily a race, but it's a sect of people who have really been influential in gaming and casinos in the United States. And um, so everywhere pretty much I've worked at, and I get my schedule, I look at the schedule, and it's laid out um, pretty much appropriately for what you would normally think. It would always be laid out Monday through Sunday. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And I never really thought much of it until I went to work at a place that wasn't necessarily influenced by this sect of people. And they laid out their schedules Sunday through um, Saturday. And uh, at first I thought, oh, that's probably just because, you know, weekend is the busiest time, so they put Friday, Saturday, and Sunday together. And then it dawned, I mean, it's like, no, wait a minute. In this sect of people, they kind of want us to think Sunday is the seventh day. When they know it's not, <laughs> and we really should know it's not. But anyway, now we're going to cover tonight a little bit on the compact. Uh, we talked about last week because I've had a few people contact me, and it's been kind of the same thing that people contact me with all the time regarding whether they do this or they do that, how it's going to influence their life, you know, things of that nature. And um, I've had people, for instance, contact me regarding a compact, and they said, okay, well, so I go in and I file this compact or I send it to the sheriff or whatever. Da, da, da. That means they can't pull me over anymore, right? And it's like, wow, I just kind of shake my head. Because one of the things people don't really realize, but I think a lot of people are waking up to, is that the world we live in today is a world of, of contracts, uh, agreements, things of that nature. That's really what runs things. That's what really controls things. And so if you have previous agreements or contracts in place, if you have duties already in place that you've signed on to, then you're not going to change those. Or you're not going to change the elements of them unless you go and do an amendment to it, And in which case, since that contract is already established, that means that both parties or all parties involved in that contract would have to come to an agreement regarding how you want to amend it. Otherwise, it's still going to stand as is. So, no, I'm sorry. You go and file this compact, it does not mean that, um, you know, 
you uh, are untouchable or invisible or have superpowers. <laughs> um, and this is actually something that I would say would be used if you want to do an amendment to contracts or if you want to have t uh, attached as an exhibit um, to new contracts that you're going to be entering into. Um, you kind of think of it in a way as I believe there was a statement regarding the Constitution saying that any laws or statutes or anything like that that were to be written that were repugnant to the Constitution were null and void. You can look at it in that kind of a light as far as attaching it as an exhibit or an attachment to um, any future contracts that are going to be signed. Um, Thomas is with us. You had several things that you brought up just before I started the recording up. Uh, do you want to touch on any of that? Yeah, hi there, Brian. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're good. Well, I was uh, just talking before we started the recording about the idea that we all have to start from a fundamental platform, like a basement level of, of uh, association. And though the contract doesn't give you superpowers per se, it allows you to symbolically show that you would like to start at the same place as everyone else and then uh, become a possible patron of the of the majority who, who is acting in full cognizance of their status and standing and uh, you know it, the, the hope is that whoever signs the compact will have done the mental gymnastics of, of learning the various sentences and words and how they associate with each other in the compact and I guess that's kind of what I feel is the real value to your your augmenting the compact with these with these verbal um, kind of thought uh, recesses and just helping us to understand what's going on with the compact so that we can also stand up for our 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 true nature, which is that that you know status of nativity or original jurisdiction. And I guess if we can just start there, uh, what does that, what is that defined as, or what does that even mean? Why can't we contract with other people when we're already set up commercially within within the current status quo? Give us give us the background of how we got here. Well, okay, um, the way the way I comprehend it. Um, and a lot of people will ask, you know, oh, where does it talk about this stuff at or this or that? And it's like, wait, you're not really going to find what you really need to know in any one location. You're going to find it in little hints and clues along the way um, as you research things. Now, like I've said before, you know, after my father passed, my mom gave me um, my father's Bible. And on the first page of it, on the inside cover, he wrote, there's value in the search. And I've really, really come to appreciate that because there is value in the search. You may be looking for one thing, but you may find 10, 15, 20 nuggets of other things along the way that have even more pertinence or even more relevance um, 
to the situation you're in or to just life in general, things you need to think about. Um, the, the way I kind of see things, from looking at all these little nuggets that have been dropped along the way, little clues that you find, um, is that when you're born here, and, and there's a lot of people I've heard talking about, or arguing back and forth about nationality and citizenship. And from what I've found and what I've read, uh, reading Law of Nations, other things, when, when you are born on a land, your lineage basically follows your father. Your station follows your father. And so if your father was born a slave, guess what? You're a slave too. You know, a lot of kids in Egypt woke up to the fact that, oh, we're slaves. They didn't know any different. That's all they ever knew. And I think that's the situation people are in today. Um, but at the same time, as things have morphed over time, um, and this word citizen came along, which was actually substituted for the word subject. Subject was used by the British and was used in the British colonies here as well in the beginning. But that wasn't really a very favorable term. Um, it kind of, you kind of saw a cage in the back of your mind when you heard the word subject, you know, or some of the more learned people did as time went on. And, and so the citizen is something that's established by the state later on. And I've got it on very good knowledge uh, from people involved in some things right now that it's established on the date that the birth certificate is registered. Uh, that's the actual birth date of the citizen, which may be five to 10 days, normally about 10 days after you're born. Um, some people I've seen uh, where it didn't get registered for like a year or two later. Basically just saw the negligence of the registrar for um, the county or the state that they lived on. And so people end up wearing that hat kind of unknowingly. And when they sign into contracts, they're kind of signing into them blindly. And they're being seen as a citizen as they're filling that office. All right. Because it is an office. And so it's assumed that they know everything that they're doing, everything that they're signing. And they're, of course, by signing in full compliance with everything. Um, just think of any of the little things that you might sign online. Had to go into a website or something. What's it say? It says, I have read and agreed to the terms and conditions of da-da-da-da. And we always just click the box and move forward. And very rarely does anybody go in the look for those terms and conditions. I mean, for all you know, you might be giving away your firstborn, <laughs> you know. But that, but that's the way I think everybody's looked at is, hey, you signed it, so evidently you're claiming you fully know everything. And so you really can't come by later on and say, oh, well, you know, I wasn't given full disclosure. Oh, you signed it, you, which means you're claiming you had full disclosure. So... Are you accusing us of not giving you full disclosure? Or were you lying when you signed it? Uh, who, who's who's the real felon here? Where's the treasonous action? Uh, initially, it's going to lie with you. And that's really the way this whole system is set up, is a transfer of guilt. Um, I mean, look at the world in general. Everything basically is insured and bonded. 
everybody wants to put the liability somewhere else. They don't want it on themselves. Everything is run on insurance. Uh, that, that's really what runs the world today. And even when we look at uh, situations, and I've had people ask me, like, regarding Epstein and all these other things, they're like, you know, how could these people do this? Or how could the Pope be responsible for this or responsible for that? And they, they can't wrap their mind around it because they have good moral character themselves. And so they don't see how anybody really could sleep at night perpetrating some of the crimes that have been perpetrated. But I think it really needs to be realized um, what this moral character or this viewpoint of these other so-called powers that be or different people is. And what the viewpoint is, is that they're not the ones really perpetrating the situation. It's someone else. And so the liability falls on them. Once again, you're seeing a transfer of liability, a transfer of guilt and blame. And so they feel like they should be able to wash their hands of it. Oh, it doesn't matter if um, U.S. Inc. had a bunch of soldiers go over and murder a bunch of people overseas. It's not U.S. Inc.'s fault. It's the soldiers' fault because they made the conscious choice to do that action. Even with different things where people have to commit an action, otherwise, oh, so, okay, if, and military is a good, good um, way of explaining it, I guess. Say so you didn't want to do that and you're in the military. Oh, guess what? It, what are they going to do? Send you to Leavenworth, give you a, uh, a dishonorable release? I mean, and nobody would want that. But still, the viewpoint is, oh, that's okay. You had a choice. You could have taken a dishonorable discharge. You know, you could have taken being sent to Leavenworth and make, you know, small stones out of big stones, you know. Who cares how horrible that is to you? You had an option. And still you chose the option of murdering innocent people overseas. And so they feel that their hands are clean of it. And and the same thing falls into just the simple contracts that people write. And one of the favorite topics for people is driving and, you know, Department of Motor Vehicles. And they say, oh, well, I wasn't given full disclosure. You signed on to it. You joined that association. And yet once again, here is just another private association that you've joined into. Like I said, people eventually learn that that's what runs the world, is these private contracts and agreements and associations. And so, yeah, you signed on to it. So evidently, you're admitting that you had no problem with whatever contract you're being signed and supposedly maybe even being or having been given full disclosure. Uh, so how do you come back later on and say it wasn't given to me? I thought it was interesting. Uh, one time I went into the Department of Motor Vehicles just for fun. Shits and giggles. And um, once my number came up, because you sit there and you wait and everybody knows the drill. I asked him, I said, um, I have a question. Uh, when I signed the driver's license, that, w that was kind of a user agreement, right? And I said, yeah. I said, okay, um, and Department of Motor Vehicles, you guys are really your own association, right? I said, yeah. So now, did I join your association by signing that? 
Well, no, you just agree to our terms and conditions uh, because we administrate, you know, stuff on the road, etc. I said, okay. I said, um, do you have a copy of those rules and regulations that I agreed to by signing on? And one woman looked at the woman sitting next to her that was listening, and she kind of looked back at her, and uh, it's kind of like the deer in the headlights look. <laughs> uh, well, I said, well, we're really not sure where they're at. And I said, oh, that's okay. I said, I, I know where they are, and I cited the location online for Florida where you can find them at. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 that's where they're at. And it's like, yeah, okay, sure you knew that. If you did, you would have said that to start with. But the question is, I had with them, well, why is there not a copy of that here for people to read prior to signing it? Which, you know, at one time there very well may have been. But how many people really wanted to sit and read through all that BS? You know, you're 15 years old, 16 years old, whatever the case may be. You're moving from one state to another state. Uh, getting a new state's license. You got other things to do. Just give me the license. Get me out of here. I already sat and waited for 45 minutes. Uh, haven't ate yet. Get me out of here. And let me on my way. And unfortunately, that's the attitude everybody takes. Even though I think, you know, one of the popular phrases everybody's heard in life is, you know, always read the small print. Always read the small print. You know, okay, sure, always read the small print. People don't even read the big print. They don't even ask for it, <laughs> you know. Eh, just give me the keys. I want out of here. Which ends up being the situation. Um, Thomas, I think you had some questions about private associations and stuff like that. Did you want to go into that? Uh, only, only if you want to. I thought possibly it could be a little premature for people that are still trying to wrap their minds around the actual compact and what it uh, allows you to represent to others uh, as an addendum to a contract um, or as an exhibit to a contract. I, for one, start thinking about associations immediately uh, after kind of wrapping myself around the compact because you are essentially unlimited in your capacity to associate and so you start to begin to understand that the world is made up of what, what you kind of analogize as rings within rings or cogs within cogs. And the whole world is, or the whole society that we live in is operating privately to a very, very large degree. And so you start to realize that you can emulate that, you can copycat it, you can overlap it a little bit, but you can do your own and that implies that you're associating with other live beings. And so there's a whole world out there that we are not really tapping into. Um, we're, we're, we're associating with these things, but we're not doing it under full cognizance of our status and standing. And so if you could just touch on, you know, where someone goes once they've become uh, totally disassociated with all of the commercial platforms that are out there and begins to be private. What what does that entail then? What's the world that opens up to them? Yeah. Um, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, that Office of Citizen that was created, and I'll get into that. Uh, and I'm glad you actually brought that up because I have had several people come to me and they said, oh, well, you're just starting a uh, private membership association. 
And I'm like, uh, yes, but no. And here's one of the things as well. If people go and study like Carol Quigley, who talked about, you know, the new world order and how things were going to run. He said things were going to be run with rings within rings. And it wouldn't matter if one of the little rings got taken down because there was many more. And on top of it, the people affiliated in that ring also had their tentacles and were parts of other rings. So it was all kind of interwoven, kind of a, maybe a spider web even if, if you want to look at it that way. And I think one of the first rings that people would recognize is a homeowners association. That's a private association that people have joined into if you go and live in one of those communities. And then you'll notice there that they've got all these little crazy rules and bylaws and yada, yada, yada. And um, I've been waiting to see somebody try and make a constitutional argument against a uh, homeowners association. And I'm sure it has happened. But it would quickly get knocked down because, well, you chose to give up one set of rules and follow another. Is really kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, that's the same thing with the uh, driver's license issue. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was part of the idea with this compact was putting you in association with other people. Also, it is stating and defining who and what you are, what you're following, and also what you're not following. Um, but... As opposed to what Carol Quigley said about a ring possibly getting taken down, you know, one of those rings could be taken down uh, for several different reasons. One, um, an association will have a president. It's going to have a treasurer, secretaries. It's going to have a registrar. Um, it's going to have their own bylaws, etc. And so those individuals could be taken down. And at the same time, that association is going to have a name. Okay, It's going to be listed somewhere. They've, they've established this association. All right. Well, in, in this compact, it is loosely an association, but it's not a named group of people. There's no named leaders to it. It is just a bunch of people joining in like mine. So can it be taken down? No, it can't, because there is no association to be taken down. There's no leader to be taken down. Um, I don't see things that have happened, like uh, Tim Turner's group or whatever, the Republic for the United States of America or something like that. And those people have all kind of gone silent. They still meet and everything like that, but they're not really doing as much or not being as vocal uh, because their leader got taken down. And they don't want to be next in line, you know. You know, once your leader gets knocked off, you know, everybody looks around, okay, who wants to be the leader next? <laughs> Guess what? Nobody, <laughs> you know. And so to me, it, it was very important not to have a leader, not to have a named group or a named association, but basically having it just based on principles, principles that establish who and what we are, and who and what you believe in, and you are joined, and in the compact, you are joined with everybody else who signs on to it, providing that they are of like mind and like principles as well. Um, if they're not, even if they sign on to it, 
you still not join to them because they are not of like mind or like principles. If those things don't fall in place with them, then they're not a party to it. Doesn't matter how many times they want to write their name on it. Um, but at the same time, like I said, this falls in the situation like with citizenship. Okay. And that becomes kind of a quiet office people occupy without even realizing it. And this is essentially the same thing. Uh, when people sign their names to things, they don't sign their name, you know, John Henry Doe citizen, you know, they're, they're just kind of seen as that without realizing it. Um, and so they, it comes from some of the little hints you see dropped, like in uh, vital stats or in vital check, rather. Uh, there is a question in there regarding is this, you know, talking about the birth certificate, is this used as ID, as identification? And the answer from Vital Check was no. It's only evidence of a citizen. It's not identification because there is no picture attached. And that was one of the first issues I had a long time ago with the birth certificate. I'm like, wait a minute. How can this apply to you? And it doesn't even have a picture of the baby on it or anything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's no sample of DNA on it or anything like that. So... Evidently, this document means something else other than what we think it does. And it's really exactly what it is. It is just evidence of a citizen, which is just an office, a statutory office. Um, besides to Not, have paper I, on a man or woman. Yeah, but, but I say just take it. But to have paper on man or woman would be slavery, and that's illegal. So anyway, yeah, go ahead. Now, you uh, were speaking to the birth certificate. I know one area of confusion that many times gets brought up is what the difference is between the certificate of live birth versus the birth certificate and how there is a footprint or a soul print uh, involved in one but not the other or how that works. And you, you were just mentioning that there's no, no picture of the baby, there's no DNA sample, there's nothing that can be attached to the actual live being. But then we have this thing with, with the soul prints. Could you, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, um, now you're getting into the hospitals and um, – a situation of um, a foundling hospital, for instance, um, and this child basically being, you know, unclaimed. Um, I've always kind of thought it was interesting that for years they would go and put the announcement of the child's birth in the newspaper. And people over time have gotten leery of that because, oh, it alerts people who may be looking for a baby, baby hunters or whatever, that this household's got a newborn baby there, you know, they, they could go and steal it, you know. And, and we've heard of people having their babies stolen out of maternity wards and things like that. Um, and to me, the uh, birth certificate that comes from the hospital, and I haven't delved deeply into it, although I, I did see a reference to it here a few weeks ago that referred to it in the same way that I always looked at it. And I always looked at it as um, a souvenir, maybe you could put it that way, from the hospital. Um, something that, 
hang up on the wall and in the baby's new bedroom or whatever. But yeah, they they wrote, they refer to it basically as a souvenir, and which is the way I kind of saw it I, because that birth certificate isn't printed on bond paper. It's not a security instrument because that is what um, that registration ends up becoming is a security instrument. Why they tell you to keep it in a safe place, <laughs> um, and that's the one also that'll have uh, the baby's footprints on it. And normally, uh, the mom's right and left, or just right, thumbprint on it also. Uh, but uh, there's generally no registrar stamp on it. Um, it may have the signature of a doctor on it or something like that, but that's about it. it it'll list the hospital uh, where you were born at. Uh, but to me, I've always just kind of looked at it as kind of a souvenir piece. Um, although there might be a little bit more into it. Um, it, it may go into more of a chicory of Vatican or something like that. Um, I hear interesting, you know, people talk about the soul print being put on it. <clears throat> and I really think that from the Vatican standpoint, they've kind of used word trickery in that way uh, because they want to have the ownership of all souls. And you hear that the soul print is, you know, from the baby is put on to that copy of the birth certificate. But it's not the S-O-U-L, it's S-O-L-E. And so it sounds like the same exact word, doesn't it, you know? And so I, I think that might be a little bit of trickery that's been played with that as well, if that answers what you're um, looking into. It does. And, you know, one thing that was very um, re revelatory for me personally in, in this way that you, you talk about the search, you know, you're searching and you may not be finding answers, but you're picking up little nuggets of information that you know are relevant, but you just may not be able to connect all of the data points right away. And one little area that I made a connection was under the subject of hypothecation and how there is this fraud ongoing of rehypothecating a statutory person over and over and over and over. And there's various layers in which you can, can think about this. There's a, a, a say, a, a, what do you call it, an accounting layer where you're dealing with you know, raw numbers and, and capital, so to speak. And then there's a more metaphysical layer that you have to contend with. And that's where, you know, people within the, the sovereignty group, you can see how they're, they're different, different souls deal with the magnitude of this fraud in different ways. And it really shows that some are able to pinpoint the metaphysical fraud happening and others pinpoint the more practical fraud going on. But in the end, it's this, this recreating or re-spawning of new from old, and that it's a fully unnatural act, and yet it is extremely valuable uh, when, when nobody is cognizant that it's happening. So uh, if there's anything that you could relate within that, now I, I always hearken back to how the U.S. Constitution was amended, obviously, to give everyone citizenship, and that that allowed for wide-scale uh, statutory trust to be created in everyone's name, 
And so that kind of ignited this, this hypothecation fraud. And now we are how many years beyond that and evolved beyond that. And when someone says everything runs under insurance, everything runs under trust, that holds very little water to the average American. You'd have to literally start to understand what a trust is before you know what that really means in the statutory person and how it relates. So if you could give us some understanding um, on, on just literally how rehypothecation is valuable to the various uh, agencies that are out there and how you how each person has to literally choose through free will to patronize and to sign on that dotted line and, and that the free will is an absolutely pivotal part of the whole equation. Yeah, it's a free will to sign on. Unfortunately, most people really don't even know what they're doing or what they're signing on to. Um, let me see if I can tie this all together. Um, and, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're spiritual, whatever, da-da-da. You know, I, uh, I think a lot of people would recall the statue of man thinking, or the thinking man or whatever. And he's got his elbow on his knee, and he's got his uh, chin in his hand, and he's sitting there debating. Uh, that's also been referred to with Satan's you know, a thousand years of thought, okay? And that he came and said that, you know, he knew he couldn't be greater than God, but he said he was going to be like God, okay? And how was he going to do that? Well, the only way he could do that was he couldn't occupy the same seat. The only thing he could do was be the exact opposite and convince people that it was the same. And I think that's really what has occurred. Um, I remember after buying my first uh, Black's Dictionary, Black's Fourth, and uh, that thing is pretty much wore out. <laughs> and and I, I was sitting thinking one day, and I said, you know what? I always say, go to the beginning. Look at the very beginning to figure things out. And so I went to the very beginning of uh, Black's Law Fourth, and look to see what the first word was in there. And, of course, it's going to start with A, right? <clears throat> All right, well, it didn't just start with A. The first definition was for the letter A. And the first definition of the letter A was hypothetical. And I was like, wow. That, like, blew my mind. Because that means that Everything in law, and I don't have it cited in front of me right now, but the courts cannot judge any fact or truth. <clears throat> and that totally explains it right there. Everything that they are referring to, um, whether it's the birth of a child or your offspring, and they're talking about a boy or a girl or whatever the case may be, or things happening in court, you know, a truck was stolen or whatever. They see that letter A as referring to something hypothetical. So it's kind of the difference between um, it being abstract or concrete. They're looking at everything in abstract form. 
They don't look at things in concrete form. The things in concrete form are the things of the creator that was created by the creator. And you only have authority over what you create. Like I say, you can't go over and tell your neighbor's kids what to do. Did you create them? No. Just like your neighbor can't come over to your house and tell your kids what to do. Same situation. You have authority over what you create. And so what did Satan create? He created the hypothetical. Not the real world, but the abstract world. And so they're doing everything in abstract. And, and that's pretty much the way I see it. Does that make sense to you at all? Yeah, Brian, that was really appreciative. It's, uh, you know, maybe even a little circle back to the way that, you know, even, even the people paying their income tax right now, they're involved in a associative agreement that is based off of a false understanding of self on almost, you could almost say three to four to five different levels. But it all starts with, missing the boat on the original jurisdiction or the nativity. So if you could maybe just talk about that line specifically in the compact about what is the original jurisdiction and how does that relate to hypothetical versus concrete? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And as well, you know, regarding that line in there, it talks about original jurisdiction. Um, something that I had missed, and I noticed last week when I was reading it, is as far as the, this world goes and what's happening in this world, you know, where is the jurisdiction of the world located at? And so I added into there um, a governance of our election. And I find it interesting whenever people hear the word election, they think that it's voting. Well, voting isn't really what election means. Election means choice. So I had a governance of our election, meaning governance of our choice. Um, uh, Rain me back in on what your question was there. <laughs> Sorry, I got sidetracked. Well, you were making a good uh, contrast for people about how we take for granted that there's a differentiation between hypothetical and concrete and that you can only govern what you create. So how is it that we're supposed to govern when we don't even understand where our original jurisdiction lies and where, where that applies to the creation process? In, in, in relation to other live beings that would want to perhaps contract or be in relationship or be in association with you, uh, how can we speak to original jurisdiction and how it might apply to the spectrum of concrete versus hypothetical? Is the original jurisdiction a hypothetical thing? Um, I don't think, well, yes and no. And thanks, yeah, original jurisdiction. Yes and no. Um, original jurisdiction is probably going to mean something a little bit different to different people, uh, depending on you know their faith or spirituality system. Um, to me, the original jurisdiction uh, really started when uh, we were brought into this realm. 
and it, it started in uh, in the womb. Uh, the womb, interesting enough, if you go into etymology, it's also used for the word tomb. Tomb and womb are interchangeable with each other. And people can kind of think about that as far as burial goes or the death of Yeshua or whatever the case may be, you know. Uh, we we kind of end up in the place we start from in a way. But original jurisdiction, uh, the, you know, there was a uh, study done about three or four years ago, I think it was, uh, by a university in Great Britain. <clears throat> and they're able to photograph the time of conception. And, you know, I've, I've heard couples talk about it before and, and say they knew exactly when little Bobby came into the world. You know what I mean? Even though they have relations several times a week or the case may be, they knew exactly which one of those times it was when their offspring uh, came in to what I call the original jurisdiction. And when these British scientists were able to photograph it, there was a spark of light that burst at that time that they were able to actually capture. And light is totally directed right in with energy, with life, with everything. Uh, it, it's even used in conversation, you know. Can you shine a light on this topic for me? You know, uh, we hear it quite often. And uh, to me, the etymology of that light, that electricity, that spark that goes off, really is um, the beginning of the original jurisdiction and who has the original jurisdiction. Um, and when you start looking at different words, for instance, like light or electricity, and look at, for instance, uh, the words that are used and break those words down, that was one of my favorite things, really. I didn't like English much in school, but one part I did like was breaking down words. And I've kind of circled back to that now over time. Now, where you work, look at a word like election or electricity, and it starts with E-L, it starts with the L. That's the L, that, that was the Elohim, that was the council of, of gods that really created us and put us here. And to me, that is your original jurisdiction, that is who has um, all facets of jurisdiction, whether it's subject matter or whatever the case may be. And that's that's my viewpoint on it. And like I said, it may mean uh, something variable different to other people. But what I see is that at that time of birth, there was another entity that had a hand in it. And I know that entity wasn't uh, U.S. Inc. or Canada Inc. or Australia Inc. or whoever the case may be. Uh, they had no hand in it. But though, just like um, the first trust, really, that was set up, the first express trust, which was the Elohim placing man here to take care of the earth and cultivate the earth for the benefit of the earth and those that lived here. So right there, you've got your grantor, you've got your trustee, and you've got your beneficiary. That was the original express trust. And so what's happened now is that man has booted the Most High's butt off the seat 
of the grantor and put their butt there and they're kind of hoping nobody notices i'm sorry i notice i think a few other people have noticed <laughs> and uh yeah i really uh don't concede to that uh that's my viewpoint on original trust and if someone were to discover that they're not operating uh within their you know primary or original jurisdiction then can they be of the age of full majority? I mean, maybe give us a little understanding around that terminology and how it relates. You know, is it is is becoming part of majority literally just a, a realm of cognizance? It's not something you can declare. It's something you have to show through representing what you understand or overstand. Right. No, I, I totally agree with that. And you use the word understand there, well, which is perfect. Um, because part of age majority, you know, a lot of people, they look at it as age 18, uh, when you're old enough to be able to sign a contract, to do something or whatever. Well, I'm sorry, you don't have to be 18 to be entered into a contract. Um, you were entered into something from birth with the mom or the dad's um, autograph or signature. And they did that in a position of power of attorney. All right. So a lot of people who say, oh, yeah, it's not valid because I wasn't old. No, you had a power of attorney, and they they were able to do it. But as far as age majority goes, and also, in fact, how many people start working a job when they're 15, 16 years old? Don't you fill out that IRS form to start working a job? And you're not 18 yet, and you're entering into a contract. So, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be 18. To me, age majority really comes down to age of understanding. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people in this world that live a long life and pass away who never attain the age of majority. They never attain that age of understanding. Well, that certainly uh, lends to the idea that there is some uh, remnants of the dark ages still uh, pulling itself along into the age of, so to speak, enlightenment. It's that if people are intellectually stimulated throughout their whole life but don't have any self-wisdom, uh, what can we say about that? Did we, did we really uh, accomplish what we set forth to do in being shepherds of the earth when we don't even understand the uh, context in which our, our responsibility starts and ends in the original contract. Yeah, you don't, you don't understand or comprehend who you are. You don't comprehend where you're at. And have you ever even defined or, or set out as to what you're going to accomplish or made a decision on what you're going to accomplish? Uh, majority of people don't do that. They just kind of go with the flow, go along to get along. Um, and uh, to me, that's very sad. And it really makes things look like uh, we're heading in kind of a backwards learning curve in this world. Um, like I've said before, you know, people think, oh, we're getting, we're more intelligent now than we were years ago. Well, you know, go read, what is it, the 1890. I think it's 1894, uh, eighth grade equivalency test. See if you can pass it. Because I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be able to. 
<laughs> well, one thing too that I come across a lot within the groups and within the curve of people that are, you know, just coming into contact with some of this information and starting to connect some dots is that they themselves are currently, not, not past tense, but are currently trading privileges for use of their statutory trust in that they have to shore up, literally shore up all of the ways in which their uh, trust is being leveraged and being contracted with out in the world. And, and like you say, uh, you know, take, take uh, I, I forget the, the terminology you literally just used, you were, you were lost in abeyance, you know, your, your parents had the statutory um, capacity over right. you when you were young, but literally you're in abeyance. So, yeah, power of attorney. Power of attorney, thank you. And so, you know, you're literally lost in abeyance, and so you're you're only acting in, in capacity of signing for the name, but not actually signing as, as the creditor of the trust. And so there's just this root, kind of maybe what you would call a rude awakening where it's like, wow, I literally am trading privileges or, or in some people's cases, if they're signed up with a um, state, a state uh, welfare program or something like that, they literally start to understand that in order to uh, become cleansed of your of your participation in this, you have to shore up all of your all of your existing associations, and that is a hardship in today's world for a lot of people, just because they have literally been raised to become a part of the system that, that essentially fraudulates everybody. And um, if you could speak to that a little bit around, you know, someone coming to the group after they've already been uh, asked to show up in court over a, a certain situation in their lives and that they're trying to do remedial learning instead of doing proactive learning and, and that this is a catch-up story for them. I know that happens a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that people don't uh, don't comprehend or realize, and as far as signing goes, and uh, I'm going to mention something here. Anybody listening to this, you listen to the recording, take this and research it, okay? Um, because, like I said, a citizenship was created, an office was was created, okay? And you are signing as um, the executor of that office. I'll say that again. You are signing as executor of that office. Have you claimed that position? Odds are no. Um, but by you signing, it's presumed that Okay, you are doing it with that authority, even though they can tell from your words and from your actions that you don't even realize that that's what's being done. And so here comes in that word advance that you mentioned. And so what they're doing is they're holding that position in advance. That they're holding it until the rightful owner comes forward to claim it. And until you come forward to claim it, then... It goes back to the name of the group, Tactical Sovereignty, administering the estate. They are going to administrate it for you. 
until you come to that age of majority, that age of understanding, and you're able to execute that office in the way that it needs to be done. Um, and it's very easy for them to be able to tell whether you realize that you're doing that or not. Um, or if you've even claimed that office yet or not. Um, that office has been set up, but for most people, it's sitting there empty. And people are going ahead and agreeing to participate with it, but not knowing the power and authority that comes with it. And since they don't know the power and authority that comes with it, the state's going to administrate it, and they're going to do it in a way that behooves them. They're going to do it in a way that helps them. Um, there is a video out from a New York attorney that was kind of taped of him in secret where he's saying, and we know the attorneys run everything, and this attorney is saying, we write the laws. We control, basically, we control the world. He said, we write the laws in a way that benefits us. They're not doing things in a way to benefit you. You think you hire an attorney and they're there to help you? No, they're not. They're there to help themselves, and they're there to help where their allegiance is to, which is to the state and to the bar administration. All right? So when they see that that office is basically sitting there empty, boom, they get to run roughshod off from it, run bonds off from it, make money left and right, and, oh, who holds the liability? Oh, well, you signed on the cross. Oh, I'm sorry, you signed on the X, didn't you? Yeah, the cross. Somebody else died on a cross as surety to take on the responsibility for your debt, for your sin. Oh, guess what? You're, you're booting him off, and now you're signing on the cross. You're signing on the X. You are putting your place in that same spot. You're putting yourself in that position. And so you're agreeing to the liability, and they're going to let you hold all the liability while they make all the money. That's really, very simply, what it comes down to. Um, I know that concept takes some learning and investigating to wrap your mind around, but like I said, you know, Satan decided he couldn't be greater. He could only be the same. And the best way to be the same was to be the direct opposite and to fool people into thinking it was the same thing. And that's why I've said that the realm of evil here on Earth is in paperwork. That's where the realm exists. That's where their jurisdiction exists. And what better thing to burn up in flames in hell or whatever the case may be other than a mountain of paperwork. Well, that was one thing that was really off-putting to me within a lot of these um, individuals' uh, idea of correcting status. There's just mountains and mountains of paperwork to do and forms to have to deal with and this and that and the other thing. And so uh, for me personally, I've been extremely slow in executing any type of actions against the idea of correcting status because I want to um, make the mistake of not doing something instead of making the mistake of doing something and finding out later that it's either frivolous or detrimental or so on and so forth. But the idea is that I've been trying to err on the side of apprehensiveness or just slow-movingness. And 
one thing that I really can appreciate about this compact is that it does everything and nothing for you at the same time, and that the gesture of signing it in front of your witnesses or however you choose to handle that is in itself a symbolic uh, form of paperwork that, that preeminates anything else that you can do to correct your status. And so if you choose to do any of the other uh, you know, steps that you have uh, offered as, as correction and others have offered as correction, um, it, it stands to be shown that everybody's got their own understanding of this and that they take their steps based on their comprehension. And everybody's pretty much different in this. And one thing that I feel is, is somewhat universal is that we're doing this as individuals, there's no collective body of people that are all choosing to become uh, private at the same time. And thus, we're all kind of taking on that, that leap of faith uh, in the same way as an individual person. And I think that this is such an interesting um, development, if you will, with this compact because it gives a lot of people an opportunity to act as a collective body and to sign the compact and to say post it publicly somewhere uh, as a symbolic gesture of allegiance to what we are now understanding as the majority, as the people that are acting in full cognizance of their jurisdiction and standing. And so to me, that's really never been done in the common or in the contemporary era, uh, I don't. Maybe it has, and I'm just not aware of it. But we're all in these groups. We're all doing our research, and we all take our steps, kind of as individuals. And that implies more uh, risk, more danger, and more uh, just vulnerability out there than if we were a, a whole body of people acting together. Is there anything that you could? could help me relate to that a, a little bit, Brian. Um, well, one, you know, as far as this being the, the collective body of people doing it, I think that that's where the strength is at. One is that it, there's nobody to be attacked from the outside. There's no corporate structure or anything like that or association for anything to... Um, get attacked from other so-called wannabe powers or whatever. And uh, at the same time, the way that it's written is that there's nobody within it that can kick you out of that compact other than yourself. And as far as, you know, status correction has always been a popular term. I've used it myself. But what I have really come to realize is that and in, in describing the difference between the national and the citizen is that we're all born with the correct status. We have the right status. Uh, the problem is, and if there is anything to be corrected, um, I kind of refer to it as correcting the presumption, is that we've put on the wrong hat. We were born with the correct status, but then we went we put on the hat of the slave instead or the subject, or the citizen. Those are all synonymous. And 
So if anything needs to be corrected, we have to uh, correct our position there. Um, and I, I, I don't like to keep bringing up scripture because I know a lot of people have problems with it. Uh, but what I've really come to learn, I believe, is that what was being taught in scripture is not what's really being taught in the church. Uh, what, Yeshua, what Yeshua was telling people is not what we're being told in the churches. What we're being told in the churches basically is the Pauline doctrine, and Paul didn't even walk with Yeshua. The disciples did. I'd really recommend to people, go read the red letters of Yeshua and see how it corresponds to what Paul said. Because Paul added some things that Yeshua didn't say. All right. Uh, there's a lot of truth in Paul's writings. Absolutely, there's a lot of truth in it. But guess what? You've got to have, uh, what, what's that song, Mary Poppins? A little bit of uh, sugar helps the poison go down or whatever, the, or helps the medicine go down. To me, that's the exact situation right there with that. <clears throat> yeah, and so it, it's really more of a matter of, you know, coming to the age majority or discretion and taking a stand as to who and what you are and what you're following, because the majority of people don't do that. Um, and they don't even realize that there's a problem there, that they haven't done that. Um, well, that's been really valuable to me. Uh, just you using the word discretion allows an individual who's having possibly some confusion around how can I sign this compact and actually be amongst this, this uh, collective body of people who are cognizant of what this compact contains? And that is having that, that, uh, that gear click into place and that you're able to realize the whole premise and in, in inspiration for wanting to state anything. Why would you want to state your status? Well, you just said it. You're, you're being presumed. There's a presumption happening uh, without your endorsement. And so once you begin to make that endorsement, it's, it's outside of their capacity anymore to, to make that presumption anymore. And that's literally you taking an action to show I'm cognizant of this and I'm wanting to, to act in my own behalf and act in my own honor. And that, I think, is, is going on to, to speak a little more about how the Bible and the church can sometimes distort what acting in honor really, really was uh, uh, meant to mean is that you are cognizant of what you are doing and acting in a cognizant way. And in today's age, I think it's fairly safe to say without sounding too uh, pious or, or uh, looking down your nose is that the majority of people are what's called an idiot. They don't have cognizance of their, of their status and standing. And so whether we talk about correcting the presumption or correcting the status, there is no, there is no vocabulary there for the average person. So this compact, someone reads it for the first time, it starts those wheels turning. And all those, although those gears may not mesh right away completely, they can't stand up for their their ability to be cognizant yet there is at least a little bit of a learning process that has been started and I think that's what's really valuable about your group is that 
most people can feel pretty safe showing where they fall on that spectrum of learning and that other people will not come down too harshly. It happens, of course, and we have a lot of people trying to explain to others that have no idea what they're talking about either. But all in all, when a compact like this is thrusted within the community like that, it forces everyone to have to go through these things line by line and either argue it out or somehow feel that there is some definitive truth within it. Yeah, I agree. And <clears throat> at the same time, anybody reading the compact, which it's in uh, the description box for last week's call, and uh, later on later or tomorrow, I'll put it in the description box for tonight's call uh, so people have access to it. Uh, otherwise, you can go in and join Tactical Sovereignty Administrating the Estate on Facebook, and it's listed at the top of the group there as well. Um, <clears throat> the main issue really is is that uh, people are here participating in activities um, in the jurisdiction of the United States of America, Canada, Australia, wherever the case may be. Um, without ever putting anything on the record as to who and what they are and what they're doing here. Um, I was working a job a while back where our uniform was a blue shirt. And this is a little example of this. And after work that night, I stopped off into Walmart. Okay. And I'm in Walmart, pick up a couple things. And I had a, uh elderly lady come up to me, and she asked me where a particular feminine hygiene product was at. <laughs> and uh, I had to inform her, oh, I'm sorry, I don't really know. You might want to look over towards the pharmacy area. I said, I know I'm wearing a blue shirt, but I, I'm not an employee of Walmart. Oh, she felt so embarrassed. All right. But that's a situation that people are in today, is that there's a presumption as to who you are and what capacity you're operating in. Um, I've even used this in court. Um, I, I let a couple things happen because I wanted the court experience and wanted to try out a couple things, which worked, uh, which was um, somebody wanting to sue me in court over a, a tiny debt. And my question was, what capacity are they operating in? Um, are they on the record as <clears throat> operating in the capacity that they claim? <clears throat> and uh, my question to them, because the summons I received, actually to put it in a little more detail, summons I received said that this company could have one of their attorneys or they could hire an attorney to represent them in court and that that attorney needed to be prepared to show evidence of that. Perfect. So when they gave me their whole spiel in court, when they got done, I asked them, I said, okay. I said, I received the summons. Let's go back to square one. I received the summons to come in court, and it said that company X could be represented by or hire in another attorney uh, to represent them. I said, do you have evidence that you work for or have been hired by this company X? 
and I remember the woman, the attorney, uh, she opened up her laptop and she said, oh, look, look, right here. She said, I'm the one that filed the case. I said, that's wonderful. Anybody can file a case. Do you have evidence that you work for or have been hired by Company X? She threw all her crap in the briefcase. Uh, she went up in front of the judge. I didn't hear what she said. I saw her waving her hands all over the place, and she turned around and walked out. And I looked up at the judge, at the court administrator, and I said, now what? And she said, eh, you'll probably never hear from them again. <laughs> but that that's a perfect example of, you know, me in court maybe being the system, and the system just automatically assuming this person has standing, they have jurisdiction, they can do what they're doing. But do they really? Have they put it on the record anywhere? Do they have evidence of it? And that's part of what the compact is for. It is part of putting on the record who and what you are and where you stand. And I recommend to people as well, when you go through it, um, there's probably going to be words that you may not be familiar with get a legal dictionary because those are the people that this is going to be presented to as legal people get a legal dictionary research those words there's going to be phrases in there very important because there are phrases in there that mean something do a search on that phrase and see what you find and it should wrap it all up and help you comprehend it a whole lot better um Thomas, hello. we've got a few people here. Let's see if maybe somebody had any questions or anything like that. And uh, we can do that before we wrap this up. What does that sound? Sounds great. I know there's been a few things put into the chat. Um, and people say, how do you claim it? And how do you claim it? That's one of the things a lot of people ask me about. Uh, even regarding, because, okay, th there's three main things I recommend to people, aside from the compact. This compact, it was just something that anybody can use anywhere, you know, whatever country you're on. Um, this should be able to be used. It just really comes down to how you can stand on it. Um, but th there's... Really, like three main things that I really, really strongly recommend to people. And this goes back to researching the Office of Executor. Ding, ding. Okay. And that is the authentication of the certificate of live birth. Um, number two would be your rescission of voters registration. Because by voting, that means that you are agreeing to the system that's going on. Through your participation, you agree to it. Get rid of that. And this goes back into that question about notice. How do you get notice? Or how do you receive confirmation? You demand it. You send in your voters' um, resignation and... Then what I did is I contacted them. I didn't do a FOIA or anything like that, like some people have done. <clears throat> I contacted them a month or two later after they had time to correct it and said, 
does this show up in your system? They said, yeah. And I said, good. Can I get evidence of that? They said, sure, come on down to the office. I went down to the office. Um, the girl printed it up off from the computer. Interestingly enough, she went down to the other end of the counter to probably a two and a half, three foot tall embosser and embossed it. And then she signed it and gave it to me. And I've used that document for a few different things, which is nice. But I said there was three th things that I recommend. And the third thing I recommend is this. And I had no problem with it because I went to a quote-unquote Christian school all my life, uh, private school. And I know scripture pretty much inside and out. I've done a lot of extra study on it. <clears throat> and so um, I became an ordained minister. And I've seen people do it through a lot of different avenues. I only recommend one avenue. And uh, that is through an establishment in Chicago, Universal Ministries, not Universal Life Ministries. They're a 501c3. Universal Ministries is not formed under the IRS. They're totally independent. And part of that really came down to looking at Article 53 of the Labor Code, um, which was set up for civil wars, some people may know. And it was regarding how the army would uh, deal with the hostile people. Aren't we treated as hostiles? Don't they look at us as hostiles? And it, it said in Article 53 that if the army should encounter, and it named a few, but one was chaplains, that they should not be treated as prisoners of war and be allowed to leave unless they want to stay and administrate or administer to the rest of the people. And, and then you look at um, the First Amendment. The First Amendment of the Constitution uh, talks about establishment of religion. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. And like I say, so you, you've got to comprehend that these people were all attorneys and lawyers or whatever you want to call them that wrote this stuff. So these words all mean something. Um, and a lot of people think that that, because that's the very first sentence of the First Amendment. And to me, everything written after that are for those that did not establish themselves. Have you established yourself? And the writers of that didn't look at religion as being, oh, are you a Methodist, Catholic, anything? No. They looked at that as, did you live in a life of uh, piety? Did you try and live as a righteous individual, as a clean and pure individual? Or were you participating in who knows what, whatever you wanted to do? As long as I don't hurt anybody, you know, I can commit all sorts of atrocities. It, yeah. Well, those people they wrote the rest of the amendments for. And so, First Amendment, first sentence, and Article 53 of the Libra Code is why I went and did uh, the ministerial ordination. 
And it's interesting, you get treated a little different way also when they see that that's in place. All right, anyway, uh, let me jump over and open this up. If anybody has any Q&A or anything like that. And I'll unmute everybody. I just ask, try not to step on each other. Um, let us know who you are, where you hail from, and uh, keep a question or a statement brief if you can. Appreciate it. All right, the lines are open. I say there's only several people that have mics. Most people are in the view only or listen only mode. So if anybody has anything, feel free. I know tonight was quite a bit of information to um, digest. So if not, that's no big deal. There's one thing that I uh, would like to bring up, and maybe you could expand on this in a, in a future uh, session, because it, it really is a subject all into itself, because you just got done speaking to uh, a much more wider definition of religion than what most people are operating with in their minds today, and that there is a falsity or a fraud that happens within the contracting process when both parties are not cognizant of their of their status and jurisdiction going into the contracting uh, process. And when someone signs their name into something, they are taking a covenant with it and that acting in honor is acting in a way that you are transparent about all of your covenants and that being a religious or pure person is someone who is at least striving to act in transparency in all dealings and that that is a very bottom line or overarching uh, definition of acting in honor is acting in transparency and so this compact for all that it's capable of doing at its very least, brings us to a status of original jurisdiction by declaration. And if that's not a start to acting in honor, then what, what out there really is? You know, just this declaration is a start of, of purifying yourself. And that, you know, due to circumstances beyond our, our capacity when we were younger, we were brought into a state of abeyance. And so we're correcting that presumption and becoming pure in the process of it. So if there's anything you could relate to that, that's something that I find extremely interesting around taking a covenant with an agency that is rehypothecating your statutory trust and that this is like a metaphysical fraud that is almost beyond a human's brain to be able to even comprehend in its totality. And so people fight it and become angry when, when they come up against this for the first time because it's, it's almost too big to believe. In fact, it is too big for a lot of people to believe. Yeah, you know, I would agree with you on that. And I think what you said pretty much summed it up. Um, other than one thing, you know, people don't realize that 
you know, I drew comparisons during this podcast regarding Satan and jurisdiction and things like that. But when you go and look at uh, things as far as signing things or contracts or compacts or covenant or whatever, uh, these all really come down to very religious terms or spiritual terms, which have been used over time. Um, and I think everything that I've read from any country that I've looked at so far, um, I remember back in the time of, um, you know, the, the New Deal that was being written for the U.S. And the president said, you know, what he was doing at the time. And he was, he was coming in to a, a new state. It was a new era for the people. And he was actually defining things as a religious movement. People don't realize that or not. There are so many religious and spiritual terms that are used, even in law, that don't pop out at people that should. And it's been used on people time and time again. And to me, well, you know what? It's time for people to take those things back and use them in their rightful state and use them in a way that affects them and identifies themselves and what they're doing. And most importantly, what your intent is. Because everything comes down to intent. Uh, you look at any court case, whatever, the question is always about intent. What does this do? What does the compact do? It shows intent. Has anybody done anything in life that ever showed their intent for being here or their intent for what they plan on doing regarding their fellow uh, brothers and sisters? No, people don't. What falls into place after that? Presumption of law. Well, guess what? I don't want anybody presuming anything for me. That's just my viewpoint. <clears throat> but, yeah, I guess we could wrap this up. Uh, anything you want to add, Thomas? Nope, that was beautiful. I look forward to next time. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. And like I tell people every week, you know, what your main search really needs to be, what the study really should be, is who you really are, where you're really from, and where you're really at. Because we've been deceived on every level regarding that. And this is part of learning that and stepping up and declaring our intent and who and what we are. So I guess till next Sunday night, thanks everybody. And like I said, I'll try and uh, get this covenant popped into the description box for uh, tonight's call on talk show. Otherwise, people can go to Tactical Sovereignty, and it's posted at the top there. So, until well, next week, good night, everybody. Oh, yeah, go ahead. All right, thank you. Uh, just just a slight clarification. Uh, you mentioned three things. Authenticate the birth certificate, rescission of the voter registration, and becoming an ordained minister. Could this be, let's say, titled as the three essential processes that establish a foundation of sovereignty? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say establish. I would say maybe affirms the position 
Um, yeah, yeah, good like one. Yeah, like I said, I, I think we are all born in the correct position, but since this world runs off from contracts and agreements, et cetera, that's what runs things, That then we need to put those in place to establish or to affirm who and what we really are. Okay. Because I kind of looked at it as three uh, processes that was a foundation that we could build on. And if you don't have the foundation, you don't raise walls, put up a roof, put in windows and doors, and, you know, finish your project. It it all starts with uh, foundational work. It all starts on the dirt, so to speak. So this is uh, – that, that was three really – good points because I'm I'm looking at things that I can present to people that are just coming into this that are fed up with the system as it is that want an alternative and uh, and some remedy and uh, so I, I think those three processes or a foundation as you well put that affirms our intent as to where we're going what, what are we doing and, and so, uh, anyway, this has been a great call. And by the way, my very first tactical sovereignty call. And so it's good to be here. Looking forward to next week. Thank you very uh, much. What's your, what's your name? Marcus Della Jose. Oh, Marcus. Hey, how are you doing, brother? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good, man. It's good to be here. Well, let, 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 let me specify because I really don't know what those three things really might do. Um, and there's more detail into some of it I can't go into right now uh, because it really should be done in the private. But uh, authentication, correct? Authentication of the certificate of live birth. Okay, the certificate of live birth. People have to realize that is the title to your legal entity. Uh, go into a bar, restaurant, grocery store, whatever. And you'll see something posted on the wall that looks almost just like your certificate of library. Guess what? That's the registration of an entity. Okay. So what you're doing yeah, is yeah. you're you're you are taking that back. You're claiming it as your own. All right. Um, as far as the resignation of voter status and getting written proof of that from them. What you're showing is that you do not agree and participate in the current system that's running. Okay. Right. And then number three, as far as the ordination goes, this isn't like a high and mighty position. Yeah, you can marry people, you can baptize, whatever you want to do, I guess. But what this is really showing is that you've decided what you're following. And guess what? You're not following this current I'm sorry, but religious system that's in place today. Um, what did Joshua say? As for me and my house, this day we will serve the Lord. Oh, guess what? Oh, yeah. He put a proclamation out there. Well, guess what? Have we put a proclamation out there like that? No. So instead, it's presumed and assumed, and we know what the word assume means. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, you know what that reminds me of? I went to a lawyer some years ago in uh, the interest of a friend. I was trying to find a lawyer for someone else that didn't have time to shop around. And um, 
I don't exactly remember how the subject came up, but he asked me a question, uh, I think in relation to me claiming that I was not a U.S. citizen. And he said, well, if you're not a U.S. citizen, where is your citizenship? And I said, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And he said, I don't recognize the kingdom of heaven. And I didn't say nothing, but I just looked at him like, you're going to be held accountable for that, my friend. So we're coming from a place of a superior jurisdiction, which is God's law, common law, which they don't want to recognize. And it's like, all right, no problem. Don't recognize it. Don't see it. Be blind, if you will. But we're coming. And uh, we're coming in the name of the Lord, like David on the battlefield facing the giant. What did Yeshua say? Yeshua said, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here. You just got to claim it. Yes. Right. Not in another time and place. It's right here and right now. This is the day that the Lord has given me, and I shall rejoice in it. And that's what... Absolutely, and that's what Yeshua was doing. He was setting up. An, he was setting up another kingdom here, and yep. this this could be a topic for another call. But I'll tell you what, yeah, yeah. there is a there is a reason why uh, books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John didn't seem to come out until sixty or seventy years supposedly after Yeshua was here, because I don't think they came out sixty or seventy years after he was here. I think they came out while he was here, and that came out during a time of a battle between Jerusalem and Rome, and Yeshua was setting up a new kingdom for people, so was John the Baptist, and Rome did not like it at all. (laughs) Obviously. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. We'll talk to you all later, and until next Sunday night, be blessed. Thank you, Brian. Yes, likewise. Good night, guys. A good night it is. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.